Hello and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Alternative London Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Means. In this episode, I speak to the author Jade L.B. After going viral with an online story called Keisha the Skep in the early internet days, Jade suddenly stopped writing, leaving the story on a cliff edge and remained anonymous. 16 years later, Jade was signed by Stormzy's Murky Books and imprint of Penguin and rewrote the story as an award-winning novel. In this episode, we talk about how she dealt with this unique situation, the toll it took on her mental health, coming back to Keisha and embracing herself as an inspirational voice to so many. So, here it is, the Alternative London podcast with Jade LB. Oh, that's real good. Friday morning in the Alternative London studio and I can't actually believe it but I'm joined by the amazing Jade LB. Um, how you doing? I'm well thank you I'm well that's so kind of you <laughs> <laughs> but I'm good I'm good how are you? Yeah I'm good thank you um, we were just saying before we press record that you're kind of someone that's um, anonymous you're kind of shrouded in a little bit of secrecy um, which is something that in our in our realm we're we're quite used to, but it feels a little bit a little bit different for you. Is is your anonymity something that is still important to you? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely important to me. I think, I mean, I as you said, like there's a difference in worlds from like you know the traditional artist quote unquote versus me, and I think that the the difference like cuts across a lot of boundaries so not only do I like write but even when we consider things like the intersections that exist at, like I'm a, a straight black working class woman as well I think that there's just such a big sort of chasm between me and what we would say a traditional artist is you know who they might be um, and so for that reason I think that my anonymity I'm not sure why the traditional artist values their anonymity but for me I definitely value it initially I think to protect the shame that I felt around the work so that was why anonymity was really important to me um, and I felt really grateful that the literary world that is again so far removed from me as like working class black woman um, also took it really seriously but yeah yeah um, so for anyone that doesn't know you're the you're the author of a um, originally a sort of blog post story that's recently become a, a book mm-hmm. called Keisha the Skat. I picked it up in the bookshop and and read. Um, it's brilliant, actually, because in the book, you've got the original version, which has the the kind of blog posts, and it's all written um, phonetically, would we say? Kind yeah, of in, well, yeah, in slang. In slang, <laughs> yeah. in, in sort of text yeah. um, writing. And it's so captivating. Um, so I read that, and then I didn't realise, actually, when I bought it, that there was a rewrite from you from you now but when you wrote the original Keisha you were 13 years old yeah and when I was reading this thing um I mean the obvious thing is that it's quite sexually explicit but um but secondly it's just so well written mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's written by mm-hmm. a 13 year old person you know and um and even the the rewrite it still managed to capture the essence of youth mm-hmm. but with like a maturity mm-hmm to it as well and it feels like you've kind of gone away and seen the world a little bit and come back to it um yeah yeah so um I suppose that I wanted to sort of talk about 13 year old you first I suppose if that's okay yeah 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 so 
you've made it quite clear that Keisha isn't based on you. So it's the sort of sexual es- exploits of a, a young girl in sort of from about 14 to 17 years old, isn't it? Um, Keisha, yeah. Keisha is 17 and 18 in the story. Ah, okay. Yeah, but you're right in that. <laughs> Again, just speaking to what you were saying about like the maturity of the story that I have to go back and acknowledge myself sometimes, but she does have a flashback to when she's 14 years old. Yeah, that's right. The story, yeah. Yeah, which is like mad in itself, isn't it? <laughs> How do you feel about it all now? Um, I think I, I just still can't believe it is the truth. It's still like very surreal. Can't believe it. Um, I don't I, I think I wait for the moment where I've digested everything so I've digested the fact that um, I've taken off layers of the shame I'm waiting still to digest that yeah this is with Stormzy's imprint at Penguin like the biggest the biggest sorry publisher in the world still waiting to digest that still waiting to digest that you know the, that it's won awards yeah, one book yeah. of the year, Discovery Book of the Year. Yeah, it? and it won another award as well. The New York Radio Festival Award for um, the audiobook won that as well. Um, yeah, even Nadia Rose being so invested that she was like, of course, like, I'm doing, you know, she's going to do the voice of um, for the original. So she read the original for the audiobook. Yeah, all of the support and buy-in and love. I'm really waiting to digest all of it. Yeah. Mm. And it's kind of something that I suppose for you, it happened, maybe went away, something that you closed the chapter on, but now Mm -hmm. it's come back and it's come back in like, like you say, it's come back in a huge way, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So to actually capture that moment in time, but that to still be so relevant to so many people, Mm -hmm. that's like hugely important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. For sure. And it's also a feeling of like, yeah, people haven't forgotten. Um, People were kind of almost, it feels like it was like when we talk about the universe and things like that might sound a little bit airy fairy but that the universe was just waiting for for you jade that's almost what it feels like and when we think about the trajectory i really wanted to just shut it off for so many years and i did for like 15 years and then when i was ready to come back to it through all of the cringing (laughs) and and whatever yeah it was it was amazing it was all yeah very amazing Mm. Why did you shut it off? Definitely just shame. What shame. was the shame re- related to, do you think? Um, because, the, like, you said, the, like you said, the character wasn't necessarily based on you. Mm. It, was, it was sort of someone else. Mm-hmm. But was it because you were, you were talking in such an explicit tone, yeah. do you think, maybe? Yeah, the, definitely the, the explicit sexual content of it, I think, as well, that fear of not necessarily being believed. Um, and as I say that, I think... It really speaks to, I think, a general fear of black boys and girls like not being believed and being perceived as bad. And I think that you just carry that, really. Um, and I guess being a woman, it's more specific to to this sort of stuff, like the sex that, like, being adult or being too forward or whatever. Um, and so to just distance myself from those feelings... Or from that shame that's sort of put on you, um, I had to shut out this story. I just, I had to shut it out. So, yeah, I think that was the main reason for a very long time. And then I started to tell myself different stories about, you know, the way that it's written, it being written in slang, text language. It's not a reflection of me now, which, yeah, is 
is silly, but it was still a thing, you know. Um, yeah, I think that those were really the main points of shame that I had to really get over and overcome. I didn't think I believed necessarily in my, um, in the fact that I would be supported or in my ability to um, direct the narrative about me, which, yeah, I guess reflects a powerlessness that I guess I felt as well. But yeah. Mm. yeah. That's such a massive thing to carry, isn't it? Mm. At such a young age. Yeah. Like it's such a big weight, isn't it? Definitely. So to kind of come back and it seemed like it's... Um, sort of held its own in a way and something that you can now sort of really be proud of yeah that's also quite a big thing I think yeah, isn't it for sure definitely to have been able to almost do like a 180 publicly as well yeah. and of and have the some level of support or love from people as I'm doing my work doing my work to offset some shame yeah it yeah yeah I feel very blessed yeah mm. um the the original Keisha um didn't have an ending it yeah. just like stopped really abruptly mm -hmm. um and I think do you think that a lot of because it's, it's had a huge reach like back in the day from what I'm reading now it's something that I've only just kind of discovered now but reading about it and reading about you it seems like it was a cultural phenomenon and so many really important people um have said how important it was to them and how inspiring it was to them at the time. Um, and it was sort of a gateway, I think, wasn't it, to a lot of young mm. black artists and writers, mm. um, particularly females. But yeah, the fact that it kind of, it just stopped abruptly. I think everyone was sort of left hanging. Yeah. <laughs> but in the new one, you've you've given it a, an ending. You've given it like the, the kind of full treatment, mm -hmm. haven't you? How did that feel? Did that feel like some kind of closure? Definitely, it did. And it also felt like a meeting of Jade at 13 and a meeting of the woman, Jade, at 29. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to say too much because everyone that listens to this it, that hasn't read it, I want them to go away and read it. So I don't want to, like, ruin the ending. But it feels, um, it feels good. And the whole character of Keisha feels slightly different in the second one there are some kind of differences as well like in the first scene of the original Keisha it's very gripping because like in the first chapter um in in a single day she sleeps with two guys and stabs one of them which is <laughs> <laughs> pretty gripping um indeed but amazing you know and um it's like fuck I did not expect this mm. um but then in the second one maybe that's toned down a little bit She, like, smacks him with some nunchucks rather than stabbing him. Mm -hmm. There's a really nasty scene, isn't there, where she's attacked by a group of guys. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a little bit kind of less less graphic. Mm. What was the kind of thinking in the in the second one as opposed to the as opposed to the first? So I think on a very base level, like, let, we've got to make this believable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be believable and it needs to be realistic. I was... 13 thank god really deep in my imagination versus now where my imagination is definitely like it's just got a lot of reality inside of it really and truly also maybe unfortunately too I mean I've I've had my own experiences definitely nothing like what Keisha was going through or experiencing but just experiences of misogyny experiences of men um not necessarily understanding the the importance perhaps of consent um and again just to say like nothing at like what Keisha went through 
but just being able to really understand what a lack of consent can look like, how it really exists on a spectrum um, and being able to then apply my imagination and just think about how things could have, yeah, how things could have gone. So even when I've described um, one of Keisha's encounters with a guy that was just very uncomfortable for her. So it wasn't out and out an assault or rape, but very uncomfortable for her. And I was able to look back at, you know, an experience or two and just think, you know, where well, I, I really did feel uncomfortable when I really, this really happened more out of um, discomfort versus really wanting to engage in sex, for example. Um, and then I also worked for a charity that set up children's homes um, in the UK for girls at risk of sexual exploitation. So even being able to think about reality and their real stories, real horrors, you know, gang rapes, all that sort of stuff and sort of applying my imagination to things that I was just aware of in reality. So yeah, I think it's just live, living some life that allowed me to make stuff make sense and relate better to readers um, through just tweaking, tweaking some things. Yeah, I think the fact that it is so sexually explicit as well, I think, that, I think that's important and I think you've kind of... Um, you're, you're opening something that a lot of people are maybe too scared to do. And by doing it, you're actually telling, it's okay. It's okay to, mm. to have a sex life. Mm. It's okay to be sexual or to, uh, and, and by, by doing that, you're then opening the discussion of boundaries. You're opening the discussion of where things mm -hmm. are okay and where they're not. Mm. And I think if it wasn't so explicit, that, that might have got a little bit, um, a bit I want to say murky, <laughs> but, <laughs> but with a you um but yeah um and maybe a bit teachy preachy as well yeah mm. Mm. which is i think by the way that you're doing it and the way that it's written i think maybe it would engage um young women and young women mm. from your community and they might actually really kind of not use it as a manual per se but kind of have have kind of a um some kind of barometer there that they might not otherwise have because it's something that they might not be able to talk about to adults or, or or grown up people for sure for sure and and sort of based on on what you're saying um yeah I think we're definitely in an era especially on the internet where people are always giving think pieces and like just always wanting to have a very intelligent sounding sounding soundbite on these very sensitive topics but we're all we're still very much humans um, and we're all very intelligent beings and so yeah I think being able to relate to people through a story and connecting with them and allowing them to think about their own experiences and form their own politics is it's an important service to yeah to people versus just yeah jumping on Twitter and chatting and shit but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. What have you um what have you been up to since the uh since the original Keisha? What did like the kind of seventeen years in between hold for you? Mm, wow. <laughs> I got very serious about my education. So yeah, I did my GCSEs very soon after finishing Keisha on a cliffhanger. Then I did my A-levels, battled through my A-levels in uh, a degree, which was definitely a battle in a, in a social and economic sense. So they that definitely feels like a feat. And then I got into a really shit relationship <laughs> um, with a really, with someone with really shitty politics. <laughs> and 
yeah, battled through that in the first half of my 20s. And then I did a master's, battled through that. And then I think, started to think a bit more about maybe take, yeah, I, I think through the relationship and through taking my education really seriously, there was an element of that where I think I was really put burying my head in the sand a little bit. And then as the relationship was breaking down and I had finished my first degree was onto the second, was onto my master's um, and then working at the children's home. I just think, yeah, life just started to feel a bit more real. Maybe I started to think a bit more about my place in the world, the responsibility that I had to be of service, maybe. And then, yeah, connected with Sully Breaks, the poet, um, who wanted to, who really was interested in what I wanted to do with Keisha the Scare. And... We, we actually had a conversation about um, him buying the rights to Keisha the Skep because I wasn't doing anything with it. And just because I was in a very different place in my life, I had started therapy as well, actually, the same year. Um, and I was finishing off my master's at that point, just was kicking about. Um, I thought, well, I don't really know how to navigate a conversation about someone buying the rights to something that I don't really think has any value personally. So um, his other offer was we can do, we can like have a think and a brainstorm and start looking at what we could do with this together. And I just took that option. And yeah, initially we were thinking about um, making it into like, I guess, an audio play. And yeah, and now we're here. Now we're here. What's um what's the future for it? Have you got any other any plans for like a, a film or anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean it would be amazing if we could get something on screen and I always get the the line that, you know, TV's really hard. TV's really hard to break into. So I've got like, really shut up, man. I had a novel when I was thirteen years yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I respect it. I respect it. It would be amazing if we could get it on screen. Um, I think in my politics, I would want to have a lot of control over it because of, yeah, just representation of black girlhood is very close to my heart and it's very sensitive. And I think Michaela Cole and Teresa Ikoko, um have successfully done that amazingly in terms of like yeah reflecting black girlhood Michaela Cohen one episode of I May Destroy You and Teresa Coco with the film Rocks and so in saying that again um, however the process works I would love love an Avengers team of women like that as well so I'm asking for a hell of a lot and I really recognize and acknowledge that it's probably not a done thing that the author has so much control and then yeah to have like a team of people that will probably probably be really expensive as well I'm asking for a lot of buying and a lot of investment so I am very open to it not happening but for the culture for the culture I would love for it to happen and I'll always look for it to happen is what I'll say yeah, yeah. I would I would love for it to happen and I think like you say if you've got the right team of people around you then it could be really be done yeah. in the right way I'm um, just going back to sort of young black girlhood um do you feel that's something that is sort of misrepresented um I don't know if it's misrepresented yeah underrepresented yeah. definitely um as I said I think like Teresa and Michaela have really broken through um and thank god that they have and they've done it really well they've depicted stuff so well and they've shown the joy and yeah the joy and the tragedy of black girlhood um it being such a nuanced experience we definitely need more 
is definitely underrepresented. And I think when I think back to my teenage years and I just remember seeing girlhood, but it was very white um, and very like middle class ultimately. Um, And I remember loving it anyway and being able to see parts of myself in white girlhood, but also not seeing parts of myself and maybe not being able to um, relate in some ways and just, you know, differences in really basic things like body types and hair and all of this stuff, it definitely had an impact. It definitely made me go out into the world and think there's there's something not quite good or beautiful about me. And yeah, I think that women like Michaela and Teresa and the women that I read books from actually as a teenager, because of course, Michaela and Teresa were coming of age just like I was, but women that I, that I read, you know, that made stories that made um, urban literature, particularly, it was in those arenas or they provided arenas for me to reconsider my beauty and who I was and my place in the world. Um, So yeah, say all of that to say that representations of black girlhood are so important and if I got the opportunity to be able to produce something that can sit within the canon that would be amazing I think you already have (laughs) (laughs) I hear you I hear you you are you don't realize you are part of that Mm. and maybe some of those people are actually inspired by you yeah I hear you I hear you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you're talking a little bit about your your politics as well where where does that kind of where does that kind of lie because you're saying that you um thought about actually going into politics mm. but decided against that yeah I thought I was I, I really thought I was gonna go into politics I thought that I was gonna do international development stuff that's what I thought <laughs> I think um, you'd be great at that yeah <laughs> I think I would too, but I think that, um, as I was saying earlier, yeah, they'll they'll just say I'm crazy or something. I'll probably get angry or something. And then, yeah, they'll be like, see, she's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, um, I did once upon a time want to get into politics. I did, you know, two degrees in that field. And yeah, I think that my very narrow lens of what politics is or was at the time is reflective of why I studied politics and thought you know yeah you the only way is to be a politician or a diplomat or whatever and now I think that the reality is that through art you you're political like yeah art is political and I think through the things that I'm talking about and the conversations that I want to inaugurate and um who I am I'm being political and I think that that's enough and I'm having fun yeah as well. that's good that's important as well yeah I suppose that's quite a lot of trauma, isn't there? Coming oh, through something like that, you definitely, know? Definitely, definitely. And I was going to say as well, actually, just as I um, rounded off my sentence, I'm also, um, I've got the privilege of being able to process a lot as well through what I'm talking about and who the, the culture is allowing me to be, which is, yeah, somebody that talks about black girlhood. I'm able to process so much of my own childhood as well, which not many of us get the privilege of being able to do. We sort of go out and be like neurotic adults um but yeah I'm getting to really process you can really tell that in the um in the revisited as well Mm. you can you can read it from the perspective of someone that's kind of done the work Mm. and and been through that process Mm. and it's a it's like um yeah it's a joy to kind of to see that to Mm. see the difference what's your relationship like with London because you kind of went away for a little bit you came back 
Um, and over the time, like the, the book as well, it's very London centric, yeah. isn't it? It's based in a, in, in a very small world, mm-hmm. in a small bubble. I think um, Keisha talks at one point about um, getting on the tube and it's something that she's never really done before. Yeah. And she's a 17 year old yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not uncommon, yeah. I don't think from a lot of the school groups and young people that we meet in the neighbourhood, their their London is is somewhere that's very small. It's their postcode yeah. a lot of the time. Um, but you kind of went out into the world, didn't you, and then came back mm-hmm. to, to the same sort of area. How do you sort of feel about your hometown? I think that travelling, it always renews my appreciation of London. So I've been to a few different places around the world, And also been to a few different places around the world and met Londoners or been around, yeah, been around Londoners, met Londoners in social settings. I think the last time that I went abroad and I was around Londoners and then also around Americans, Black Americans. So I was able to just see like the difference um, between us. And we really got something special. (laughs) We've really got something unique and special. But yeah, absolutely love London. And when I was away at university, um, that's the longest period of time that I've been out of London, I, yeah, definitely missed it. I definitely felt homesick, um, definitely found it hard to settle into where I was, which was, yeah, not very far away, but out definitely well outside of London. There's nowhere like it on the planet. And I think specifically being a black Londoner, the way that we relate to each other, the way that we have this mixedness of culture. And there's almost a way that we're not, we don't have bigoted attitudes towards one another's cultures. So I'm not going to turn my nose up at going to a, I don't know, a Ugandan restaurant with friends and trying that food sort of thing. Um, and that doesn't exist in other places in the world. And I think also um, being us being like first, second, third generation um, Brits as well as black Londoners, we're carving out a new identity as well, which is really exciting. And my lineage is quite like quite mixed up. Um, yeah, quite mixed up lineage wise. And my mum didn't have her dad around I didn't have my dad around so there's a lot of fracturing in my it feels like there's a fracturing and I think Londonness and black Britishness feels very much like home and like my first identity versus you know people being able to say like yeah my dad's I don't know Jamaican or Nigerian and they've got that connection I just didn't have that so I feel very at home and very like self-assured in my Londonness and my black Britishness so it's very 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 important to me yeah amazing it's something that's not always particularly easy though I imagine Um, yeah do you think things are I always say like things getting better I suppose in some ways they are but in other ways I think within communities from my from my perspective Mm. and this is like maybe a very naive perspective Mm. but I think like within communities cultures ground level things are improving but higher up where things where decisions are made they're actually getting worse yeah I definitely agree and even as I was talking I was thinking like but what feels like a constant threat of displacement is really real and it feels like it's more and more real like feeling like am I about to be priced out of this place um Am I about to just feel so angry at the gentrification that we just feel like we have no control over that feels like it's like eating 
everything. Um, will that make me feel so alienated that I've got to find home somewhere else? So yeah, there's there's definitely a difficulty in it. And I think just like social and political realities, yeah, really threaten the feeling of being at home more and more. But you're right in that. Just being an adult and having a level of autonomy um, and having space to think, just, yeah, having space to think and write, um, I'm able to acknowledge this is really home. This really feels like home. Yeah. yeah. And I can and I can make it home as I continue to cultivate community. Yeah. 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 You said about writing, you're, you're writing again, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever really stopped is the truth. I think that the form, the form of things that I was writing definitely changed. Like I was writing some essay based stuff um, in the years in between. Not really stories again. Yeah. Not stories. Um, but yeah, back definitely back to creative writing now Amazing. and yeah, going processing feelings and thoughts and my politics and mm. nice. Is there another novel in the pipeline, do you think? Yeah. I am writing for book number two. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Is it the same sort of cut? Is there anything you can kind of give away on it or are you keeping <laughs> it kind of quite close to your chest in the minute? It's very adult. It is very adult. And, I mean, uh, so was Keisha, really. Well, well. <laughs> it's, it's definitely based on adult characters. And I think okay, it definitely yeah. captures yeah. Um, a lot of my observations of London and the world. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'll oh, say that. <laughs> yeah. What else are you working on at the minute? Um, I just not long ago finished an um, executive producing gig with, um, with Amazon. So I um, executive produced a podcast called The Naughties for Amazon, which was amazing and just felt like a, yeah, a trip down memory lane where just talk to different people within the culture, past and present, and just had conversations about different things. So um, on one of the episodes, we had Little Miss Jocelyn, um, who obviously talked about being black in TV alongside Tolly too, who is, you know, a new you know up and coming tv babe <laughs> but yeah that was amazing that was an amazing experience so not long finished that stuff and what else is happening oh yeah i'm writing some poetry at the moment as well actually for to collaborate or to to contribute sorry to an anthology so that is out next year um, but yeah yeah, little bits and bobs here and there. Sounds great. Yeah. It sounds like you're still kind of quite connected to sort of youth culture as well. That's something that since 2005 has changed hugely. Yeah. I think then we're talking about a time when we're just kind of on the cusp of the internet. We're talking about MSM. We're talking about Nokia 3310s. Mm. So we're just on the start of it. And then everything kind of exploded yeah. since then. And we're in a totally different age now, sort of for, for better or worse. How do you kind of see it these days? Do you think it's kind of maybe easier for young people to have a platform? Yeah, it's definitely easier for young people to have a platform. But I think to engage people, I think people's attention spans are really short now. And I think things are moving so fast. It's sort of like the the focus is on what's next versus like just immersing yourself in what you're doing in the present. So if you've like, I don't know, got a really good YouTube series where you're talking about something that's really like pertinent or important. Um, it just feels like the lifespan of that is really short now. It only stands to like, yeah, capture an audience for a really short period of time. Um, and then you yourself have, as the creator, you've got to jump onto like what might be next and abandon ship 
And I think that's a, that's a bit sad, but... Hmm. Yeah, I find myself even these days sometimes, like um, if I'm taking a video of something, I'll stop it at 15 seconds. Okay. Just automatically now, you know, because I know that that's how long it's going to go onto an Instagram yeah. story for. Yeah, I really get you. And do you know, do you know what I secretly really hope though? <clears throat> like I always have this in the back of my mind, but everything that we contribute to the online space, whether it's like podcasts or blogs, videos and all of this stuff. And, you know, they, they may have, they might have been big or they may not have. And they're just like, you know, sitting there with not many views or listens or hits or whatever. But I'm really hoping that one day there's just a time where what we have on the online space is all that we have. Like there's no more there's no more being put in we've just got what we've got and we just appreciate it one day we just appreciate it that's that's genuinely what i secretly hope happens really? yeah maybe the server just breaks down for a year or something yeah <laughs> we can't put anything else on the internet we've just got to consume what we've already put on there but yeah i was thinking about that with like music the other day i was like if no new music got made forever we'd still have enough yeah. to go back yeah and to it feels like sometimes you just want it to stop so you can yeah. actually like have a bit of time to go back and do, you know what I mean? do everything and actually like catch up with it all because there's just not the time in the day yeah, to do it is honestly there? honestly it's too much content it is there's way too much content out there and just not enough pause to just appreciate like what someone is saying or to even find like people to really connect with but maybe i'm just getting old maybe <laughs> sounds like it <laughs> but wise as well you seem like very um you seem like very wise and assured years and it seems um really nice as well to hear how you've sort of um managed that that situation and sort of come to terms with it all mm. in a really positive way and brought it back to something really good that people that other people can go back to like me and rediscover it i would have never have discovered it yeah. if it didn't if it didn't come out again Thank and you. and i feel like that would have been something that would have been a real shame because um i've i've loved um sort of reading it picking it apart kind of um the nostalgia of it as well going back to that time that it was a time that I remember the time and the, but the the scenario was something that I was sort of maybe living in a bit of a parallel to but it gives me a deeper understanding of things that I wasn't understanding so much at the time as well so yeah I think it's I think it's really important thank you so do I I think it's so important yeah thank you is there anything else you want to um leave us with um <laughs> I just mean, to put you on the spot yeah yeah <laughs> um no just yeah I'm always so appreciative of like yeah people that I feel really take the time to see me and my work um so thank you and yeah those of you that are interested um the book is available to purchase wherever you get your books and the audiobook is available on audible um yeah, and I'll probably get you back on when you release your next book as well. If that's <laughs> I would right. absolutely love that. <laughs> Amazing. Jade, it's been so good speaking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't thank Jade enough for trusting me with this episode, and I really enjoyed getting to know her. If you haven't already read or listened to Keisha the Skeet, go and do it and you can follow Jade on her Instagram. There's a link in the episode description. And as ever, you can let us know what you thought of this chat on our Instagram post of this episode. This was the Alternative London podcast with me, Gary Means, edited by Studio.